The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Peter show and the continued adventures of the summer of 93 at 30 series it's the summer of 93 at 30 a weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993 and as always with me here we have from the rap mr scotty mendelson hello it's good to be back and while he takes a Break in the void. Uh, let me introduce for you a uh, writer from We Live Entertainment, editor too, right? Senior editor. That's uh, correct. Why so blue? Variety, a member of the Hollywood Critics Association, and here is that the beloved host of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Aaron, not Abe. It's Aaron Newers. Hey, we did it. We are back. We weren't canceled after the first week. We made it through the pilots. We made it through the pilot. They let us <laughs> watch. They rewarded us with these three movies. Yeah, this is uh, the second week here in 1993, a less higher profile than last week, sort of. Like, enough? Just kind of. Yes, I would say so. It's the second weekend of summer, just like a bomb yeah. from Warner Brothers. We have the second week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a variety week here. Throw it at the wall. Yeah, I. I this is going to be, a, I think, a, a one that's more fun to talk about than it was to study up for. Possibly fair, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna get into it. But first, as we always do, it's time for the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. Remember when? Let us go. Don't interfere, Mama. Remember when? Look at him. Look what you did to him. Coming Thursday. Hi. After 344 episodes, do you love me? Spend one last night as all the loose ends get tied up on knots. Final episode Thursday. This is CBS. Uh, here we go. Uh, last week we had a note. Um, Aaron's birthday occurred on last week's episode. He was born that week, so we caught we crossed over with his birthday. He mentioned it, and Scott and I kept talking and didn't say a damn thing. So apologize, apologies to Aaron for like saying a lot happened on my birthday and uh, <laughs> just keep on going through. The I heard I just didn't give a shit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now, yes, now I, now I'm more aware of what we're doing here. It's, it's the, these three days <laughs> this week. <laughs> yes. So, all right. Um, well, Brandon really thought about me here today. No. Um, so uh, May 10th, Paul Suzanne's painting still life with apples Sells for twenty eight point six million in New York City. I don't even know what that painting is, but that art is dumb. Worth more than myself. Uh, May tenth, also a fire in a clothing factory at Bangkok kills one hundred forty five people. Always got to bring the downers with the art <laughs> labor regulations. Not so dumb. Yeah. Uh, on May twelfth, Parma of Italy wins thirty third European Winners Cup against Royal Antwerp of Belgium. Three to one in London. Damn right. Yeah, I was. <laughs> there goes 50 bucks. Yeah, I was. Whew. Uh, May On May 13th, CBS soap opera Knott's Landing ends a 14-year run with the 334th show uh, in both Netherlands and U.S. So goodbye, Knott's Landing. Knott's Landing, was a, that's a soap opera? There was... I've only I ever mean, heard the title. I never thought yeah. I never realized I it was, it was a like a soap opera. Soap. It might have been the back of the day through the eight they kind of died off toward the end of the eighties, early nineties, but they had yeah. primetime soaps like Dynasty, yeah. Dallas probably can you know goes Dallas with that. Knots yeah. Landing. And back then so, shows ran for a long time. They did run for a long time. No, it was a huge deal when Dallas finally ended. Mm-hmm. Um because that yeah, yeah, it was absolutely a primetime soap with all the goofy. If you were getting ratings, you kept going. 
Yeah. Kept going and going and going. Like that was it. Like they didn't care. Like, like but the arc more of money our story. In, is- it's like you want more money in the third season? Yes, because people are watching it and that's good. Mm-hmm. We will also make money. Here you go. Should we go for season 23? Well, we're still top 10 for our, <laughs> you know, like that's what they do. Um, we, we randomly started a series wide, not a binge because it's been months and months of bones. Yeah. A show that ran for 12 freaking years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fun show. Don't get me wrong, but 12 years. I, I watched it, that show for the first like four or five. It's a fun show. Uh, it's wild that the equivalent today is the Simpsons and Family Guy, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, those, yeah. that's the equivalent of Dynasty. <laughs> that's what we have. And those shows, not sunny, but the, those, the animated shows take longer to make them than Dynasty does. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, over I mean, over in the UK, it's like they have staples that have been just going for like you know, Doctor Who's the normal one, but EastEnders, uh, Midsummer Murders, like tons. Well, they, have they have a lot like of shows. Three episodes a season. Of which one? Well, I mean, in general, British television. No, like well, in, gen- in general, yeah. in a general six, sense, six to twelve, like, six to yeah, twelve. But, uh, so yeah, they, they, that's how they make up the difference. They have EastEnders and they have like Luther for three episodes, and then they're yeah. done. <laughs> right i mean it, it depends and they take breaks too they took breaks before it was cool to take breaks so um uh, like the red dwarf that's been on for so many years but it does not have like the season amounts it's had like gaps in where it's been but nothing's gonna beat sesame street oh <laughs> oh sesame street uh all right so on may 13th uh kansas city royal george brett hits his 300th home run Good Sports. for him. Uh, May 15th. Speaking of the uh, UK, uh, Eurovision Song Contest uh, was going on. Uh, Niam Kavanaugh for Ireland wins by singing In Your Eyes in Mill Street. So, congrats. Ah, still at it. Still going. Uh, on May 16th, <laughs> Judd Nelson pleads no contest to kicking Kim Evans in the head. Oh, that okay. That was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nelson, keeping that, keeping that, uh, keeping that uh, vibe going. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what he he was. Uh, it's like that might come up again if I ever have a comeback. He thinks, right? Well, that's when he signed that contract for Suddenly Susan. I'm sure, right? <laughs> oh God, yes. Mm-hmm. Shit, this is right. Really this, I keep forgetting that we're in the nineties. Yeah, I keep placing this shit with the eighties. <laughs> we are not at Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Judd Nelson. We are at. Suddenly, Susan. Yes. <laughs> remember that. Remember there is a serial killer movie starring Judd Nelson. Which one was that? It's it's like I a TV know. movie. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I you're forget the about. title. I'm sure it's really generic. It's that's why mm. I can't think of it ever. I have to look it up. But they made that, and then there was a sequel. They made mm-hmm. a sequel to it also. It had uh, Judd, and he like buried people underground or something, or like it chopped them up in the in the, like his boat. Relentless. Like, was, so. It was relentless. Uh, they were they were theatrical. I think I've seen that on like and, Cinemax at two in the morning. So you remember uh, the guy who played Bud in Halloween two? Of course, naturally. He no. ends up taking. There's like four of these, and he like becomes the lead through them. So it starts with Judd Nelson. Yeah, I remember this crap. And because uh, they were video, they were at the rental store like crazy. There was like relentless, and I think they go up to. And on May 16th, uh, Suleiman Demirel elected president of Turkey. Oh, yeah. His reign. Yeah. What a a landmark. Right. True, true. Um, All right. Our our deaths this week. Uh, William Randolph Hearst passed away this week in 1993. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And Orson Welles wept. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Actor Joaquin uh, Garcia Vargas from Santa Sangre. She passed away. Um, Marv Johnson, an, an, an R&B pianist, uh, singer, and songwriter, passed away as well. Born this week um, is Debbie Ryan. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, he's a football soccer player. And Miranda Cosgrove from iCarly. And School Chris- of Rock. Yeah. Christina Mlad- Mladinovic, uh, tennis player. Debbie Ryan's from uh, those shows, Jesse, and those right? Things. Huh? 
Jesse from Nick, uh, the Disney Channel. I yes, think. yes. yes. Yeah, okay. we have, they're they're starting to get born that generation of Disney Channel. <laughs> this is gonna suck. Uh, <laughs> all Scott's crushes are gonna come tumbling down. Oh man! I don't want to get canceled in episode two. Oh yeah, it's not, sorry, it's not her. Sorry. There's other ones. No, I'm kidding. Gotcha. Um. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into our first movie, which played regionally on this weekend in uh, 1993. Excessive Force. Some say Detective McCain cares too much. Shake up your life. Do something crazy with it. Play music for a living. You saying what I do now is not crazy enough. Some say he goes too far. These statements were obtained through the use of excessive force. Some say he's out of control. What do you want? I want to see the tough guy. I want to see the guy who smashes knees, shoots people in the face. Now, game time. There's a new force to reckon with. Directed by John Hess, written by Thomas Ian Griffith. Believe me, I would have had no idea he wrote this. None. Starring Thomas Ian Griffith, James Earl Jones, Lance Henriksen, Tony Todd, and Burt Young. Uh, Chicago policeman Terry McCain is determined to put away mobster Sal DeMarco, who always gets acquitted on technicalities. While monitoring a drug sale, a shootout ensues, and one of Terry's fellow officers gets away with $3 million of Sal's money. Suspecting Terry took the cash, the mobster sends his men to kill Terry's brother and partner. Furious Terry sets out to take his revenge by any means necessary. Only playing in major cities. He took a bias, of course. Director uh, Hess, may you may be familiar with John Hess's work, uh, that of Alligator 2, The Mutation, uh, no. the Corey Hay movie Watchers. And I noticed he used Xander Berkeley a lot in his earlier films. So maybe they're buds or something. So theater buddies. Yeah. To, to the extent that this is a, a Griffith vanity Joint. project, I was... Well, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. I was surprised that 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 I would not be surprised to hear if the director was pulling the you know George P. Cosmatos type deal here. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, this this film, I obviously like Xander Cage the right return or Triple X the Return of Xander Cage more than Go Go on. People. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of this. This kind of reminded me of that, and that it has a lead actor for whom this is a giant vanity project who, you know, theoretically makes it all about him, but the supporting cast is so fucking awesome that it almost yeah. works despite all of that. Did you know he's awesome? Thomas Ian Griffith. Did you know I how apparently he is? he is? He is so That's awesome. a weird poll. I mean, like we don't need to talk about Xander Cage, but like that movie <laughs> shares a lot of the wealth. Like Vin Diesel's not just there being like, I'm oh, no, no, that's like, why, and that's why I like Xander Cage, that movie. Because I mean, there's does. other there's there's other vanity projects that have a much higher focus on the star, despite having a better supporting cast than Triple X. This is a treadmill. This is a glorified like Neil Breen movie. I don't know if you've seen Neil Breen or know this is exactly what the hell he does in his movies. Like this is this this is no different than a Neil Breen movie. Accurate. Yeah, and once again, I the, fight, I am, the fights are better than most Neil Breen and the Neil actors, yeah, and yeah. the actors. But yes, this is debatable. Um, and it's <laughs> it's and it's weird because the entire time I'm watching this picture, and it has the feel of an you know a stereotypical '80s action picture, as yeah. do a lot of early 90s pictures for obvious reasons. It's funny the extent when you think prototypical 80s action, you think of something like Stone Cold, which is actually 1991, which I like Stone Cold quite a bit, but that's a different conversation. But I'm thinking this thing, oh, you know, these these this must be when all of these actors were sort of down on their luck or couldn't get anything better. But no, I mean, Lance Hedrickson was about to do Hard Target if he hadn't done Yeah, he was about to do Hard Target. James Earl Jones was fine. He was working all the time. Uh, um, James, this feels like the biggest, like someone got a huge favor to get James Earl yeah, Jones yeah. to pop yeah. in here because because he appears in 
three scenes. I mean, it's not like he was taking, you know, months at a time. Oh. <laughs> so, like, well, look at the, this three of the greatest voices of all time. Tony Todd, James Earl Jones, and Lance Hendrickson. All yeah, Tony Todd's movie. in this as just, you know, I mean, he, it, it's, it's, while this Tony film Todd's is... A- Tony Todd wanders into this thing, and I'm like, "Oh, cool, Tony Todd of him with a mustache." All right, yeah, yes. Then, yeah. He, then he supposedly dies like two <laughs> scenes later. I'm like, yep. oh, I guess we cashed out on our Tony. Then he's like, "Oh no, it's right. He's just bad." <laughs> I, I have to say, I enjoyed the second comparatively. I enjoyed the second half of this picture more because those characters, once they're all revealed to be good guys or bad guys, they get to act. You know, I'm explaining the plot and why I did the terrible things I did. Feel bad for me, and it's silly, but it's acting. You know, it, I think it, felt, the, it, it felt like Thomas Ian. <laughs> I would say it's yeah, Griffith. I don't, I don't, yeah. Griffith. Griffith. Yeah, you want to say Nichols? I, Nicholas, Nicholas, so, be, yeah, yeah, because because he's rookie of the year. Um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, it feels like he wrote. He was starting to write this movie about excessively. You know, it's like I'm going to be a tough cop and I'm going to have cool action scenes. Then he's like, well, "What do I do now?" And he drank like a whole bunch of coffee, took a whole bunch of Adderall, and just like, "All right, let's do this thing." And he like wrote a bunch of like new, new twists and turns to keep the movie interesting to sell it to buyers. It's like, okay, but get this: in the second half, he's going to be a corrupt cop, and he's going to have a partner. And he's it's like, "Oh boy, this movie's like, yeah." So I agree, Scott. The movie, like, let's be clear, it's bad. This is a no, bad no, it's movie. terrible. It's <laughs> incredibly watchable. It's yeah, yeah. incredibly watchable though. But the first half, I was—I'll be honest. Even though I love. Or at least I have a fondness for schlocky, ultra-violent action films. My thought was, this film is so action-packed. Why am I so bored? But again, I think comparatively, it rises to two stars in the second half. Because again, I think it's just the cast gets to play as opposed to just being exposition machines. Uh, there's some good. There's some funny one-liners and stuff here too. Like the work with it. Like uh, there's a part where before Tony Todd dies, where they almost like hand you the telegraph of his death. Where he's like, go in and get us a couple beers. He's like, you want a sandwich or something? He's like, no, we're drinking, not eating. I was like, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, no, like it, like the, from the outset, like it is. Oh, watch Thomas E. Like Tony Todd sits and does nothing as Thomas E. Griffith does everything for things, and like just there's like the oh, the badass interrogation, the shootout, the all like, and then he's even got the woman. Who only exists to bitch at him and then sleep with him when she, you know, when it's And time. to the film's credit, she does not get kidnapped. I was shocked. That is stunning. But she does get involved in the action scene when they, like, born, yes. identity, born identity out yeah, to yeah. the winter place. I mean, I she gets the machine to, gun a guy. That was nice. I was yes. trying to pinpoint it, and it's Charlotte Lewis, right, who is uh, involved with stuff with Polanski. And I was like, oh, yeah, this person. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like I knew there's someone there's something familiar about who this is, but yeah, I mean, it it operates on tropes. Obviously, I mean, it's not it's not breaking any barriers. Uh, I think what it comes down to beyond like the supporting stuff and the things that are obviously likable to an extent is like, well, is is a uh, is he shining? Is he shining? Is this his moment to like really bring something as a leading star? And uh, the answer is obviously no. Uh, this is not. This is not the. Uh, where do you find so yourself so, yearning for the raw charisma of Steven Seagal? So, That's so who they were so hoping that. for him to be. They yeah. wanted so, him. To oh, be absolutely. New line, Steven Seagal. So so much so that so poorly handled that like the, the 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 idea that he's already at this bottom basement like tier of action star, and they couldn't even get him to be. They couldn't even make a sequel with him still. Right, it's just a right. whole new cast and storyline. <laughs> like we need to make another excessive force. Do we need Griffiths? I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, I, it's. I don't he, know. He wants to pay us to be in the movie. No, we can still go a different direction. Uh, but no, it's it's it's. You know, on its face, it's the kind of rough and tumble cop action movie that we make fun of when we think of rough and tumble late 80s early 90s action movies you know mendoza on the simpsons it's that kind of thing it's yeah. what lacks action was trying to spoof and couldn't for oh it's because i made fun of the last action yeah. oh, god yep, damn it that's what you get the button uh, i'm sorry it was actually good i was wrong this one of my is, one of my be- one of my best friends from college is a DeMarco, so I had a lot of fun just hearing the name DeMarco being thrown DeMarco. around for <laughs> ten to fifty minutes. Uh, did you? Uh, this this one seems like it's prime for that like vinegar syndrome archives or whatever section I, they I have am, for like action I am, movies. 
I am curious if that happens and we get this shiny clean 4K version. Like, well, I could see it. So that's a that's right. A yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. This only exists. I tried not to hold that against it. Right. Yeah. It's 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 the what we watched was very dark and stuff, but it's not available. It's a it's a movie that's just not the which they're trying to move on from, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, <laughs> right you can't escape so. from us. Yeah, it didn't right. get the new line platinum edition treatment. Yes, <laughs> I did like I did like uh, it did have a good title drop, though, where Burt Young is 13 minutes in. He's like gleefully saying excessive force. <laughs> like, here we go. There we go. Uh, Burt Young is uh, yeah, Burt Young great in this movie, by the yeah. way. He's yeah. like, really good. There's a scene where he's like John Turturro pleading for his life. And I'm like, damn it, Burt Young, you're too good for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bert should have been nominated for an Oscar for Rocky Balboa Young. Yes, him. Yes. So, yeah, Excessive Force, uh, though it does include Excessively the line. bad. It does include the line, don't, don't even dream alone at night of fucking with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just doesn't quite quite do it. Did anyone, was anyone fooled by Lance Hendrickson? The minute he walked in, I'm like, yeah, he's probably not a good police chief guy. Oh, he seems so trustworthy. I felt betrayed. <laughs> Yeah. He wasn't screaming, so I'm like, oh, he's probably bad. Like he wasn't. He wasn't. He never seemed angry at the fact that this cop is using excessive force and he's always getting his case thrown out. So I'm like, oh, if this is, in a better in a different movie, if he was angry at him, he'd be on his side. But he was playing it too cool. He's like, you can't be doing this, man. I'm like that's too calm. You're probably on the level, not on the level. Yeah. My favorite is still, and I like this movie quite a bit, but Angel Has Fallen, which doesn't even reveal Danny Houston's treachery as a twist. It's yeah. just there's a scene and he's the bad guy. It's like, mm. oh, come on. Uh, we know that you do, that we come on. Let's just get this nonsense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. But you know what, Scott, you know what you could do instead of uh, going to see Excessive Force in 1993? Uh, in 1993, play mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers 3? Now you can watch TV. In a gothic tale of brotherly greed. My father is dead. Will a trip to Ireland give Jessica a lead? I have to know what happened. All new murder she wrote. So uh, like the Nielsen ratings uh, this week, number one on the Nielsen ratings is Cheers. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Here we are. Uh, Number two, Home Improvement. Scott's favorite. These fluctuate very much as we go through. Yeah, they will. They will. They will. Because we'll get into a weird summer gets weird because it's reruns, specials, all sorts of weird things. Um, And we have a we do have a monumental occasion coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned. Uh, Seinfeld number three. Remember, it wasn't even in the top ten last week. Uh, Number four, Roseanne. Number five, a home improvement special on ABC. Uh, number six, 60 Minutes. Uh, number seven, Not As Watched As Part One, Tommy Knockers Part Two. They knocked at the door and didn't answer. Uh, number eight. Only two parts? Yeah. Okay. That uh, was the conclusion. Isn't yeah. that no- mo- normal in most cases? Yeah, because they... on Monday, it's usually a Monday or Tuesday. And Monday, <laughs> it'd be going against Monday Night Football or, well, not at this time of year, but then sometimes they'd be Sunday and Tuesday, and Tuesday's a very low watch. My recollection, yeah. Television day. So, because well, like the Shining was three parts. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. 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 Some of them are three part late. Uh, it was two parts. And it's two um, parts. And remember uh, when the stand was really long because it was, it was four parts and ran upwards of three hours without commercials? Right. And that was an epic miniseries length. Yep. I remember. I remember. <laughs> and it was pretty good. It was terrific. It was yeah. also well paced because it was only three hours and not eight. Yes. There you go. Number eight, uh, Murder She Wrote on CBS. Number nine, Coach on AC. And number 10, Primetime Live on ABC. I want to point out, too, that this, you know, what's different, Scott, than when we did 82 and nowhere to be found in the top 10 Fox. They're a network now. They weren't when we were doing it in 82. You are correct. Yeah. And I've just realized they haven't had a show pop up yet. They took a while. They did take a while. Um, I remember. But the Simpsons. I say is, 96. The Simpsons in the- I remember their first breakthrough was like, I mean, obviously they had plenty of relative hits, but I remember it was the fall of 96 where they had the World Series, mm-hmm. the premiere of Millennium, which got huge hype, mm-hmm. and the fourth season premiere of the X-Files when it was on. Mm-hmm. Sundays, yeah. I think, Sundays. instead of Fridays. And yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. after three seasons of being this cult show that was barely hanging on, boom, it's a mainstream hit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that was yep. the first week that they actually won the ratings overall, the network. Yeah, because yeah. right now Fox they'd be is, 21 Jump Street? I don't know. Air, what were you saying? Fox is my choice network back in the day because it was yeah. Simpsons, X-Files, then you had Rock, Living Single. It was single, offbeat stuff. Yeah, it was great. Well, well, you had black shows. <laughs> well, and Living <laughs> Color. Until they got too popular and then they went mainstream. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like UPN and Netflix. And, they, and then they made Friends, which was well, NBC made friends, and which was somehow living single became the black friends. Like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, well, t- Fox is always the weird, like 24 started on Fox. Like, they they just seem like off. Yes, they had a lot of black shows back in the day in the 90s, too. But like, it was not what everybody else was showing. Yes, um, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, yeah. So it was. It was a network. I'm like, there's stuff here that I recognize more of. And it was very fun to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I. I. I was that uh, Martin. Not, was every, not everybody's Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Other things going on. <laughs> yeah. In living color, so where I, the I white was, guy became a the phenomenon person. That's what I was going to say. I was. <laughs> I was primed for all this Carrie stuff because I'm like, I know him from Living Color. He's like, yeah. Yeah. Movie I knew star. That. That's yeah. great. I knew him back when he was James Carey. Yeah. Gotcha. I kept waiting for David Allen Greer to become a bigger star. Yeah, I thought that guy was going to jump off. Yeah. He's a theater trained actor who's also very funny. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's so much from that show. I, yeah, I used to watch that all the time. Uh, Starring Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. She was one of the biggest people from (laughs) color as well. Yeah. Oddly enough, Greer's. Oh gosh, good stuff there. Okay, uh, our next film is uh, Lost in Yonkers. In 1991, a play opened on Broadway. It won the Tony. It won the Pulitzer. It won our hearts. What a kiss me! Now the critics agree the movie is even better. Yes! <laughs> you laugh. You'll cry. You'll fall in love with Yonkers. I look good now. You look wonderful. Really? Because they put it back on a month ago. Lost in Yonkers, rated PG, at theaters May 14th. Directed by Martha Coolidge. She a Valley Girl, Real Genius, and uh, a Mendelssohn Family Classic, Out to Sea. Uh, (laughs) Written by... Out to Sea? Written by Neil Simon. (laughs) Starring. I don't think TV. I've even seen that. I don't get What's it. On TV, kids? Look, look, it's out to see. <laughs> that's the Den- yeah, is that Dennis Leary and me, uh, Jim no, that's, that's, oh. that's, no, that's that's no, what am I thinking of? It's one no, of those like we got to cash in off grumpy old men movies. That's 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 two if by see you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Out, to, out to see is out to see is the last Walter Matthau Jack Lemon movie. Yeah. Oh, which I've also never seen. That's You're thinking of Mendelssohn Family Classic, my fellow Americans. <laughs> there you go, that one too. We just, I'm, we, we just figured you would naturally pivot to that. He's like, oh, yeah. they got Garner out of there. They finally got Levin back. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> they finally got, they got Matthew back. <laughs> we can finally do this thing. <sighs> okay. Uh, it stars Richard Dreyfus, Mercedes Ruel, uh, Irene Worth, David Strathairn, and Mike Demu- Damus. Damas. Uh, in the summer of 1942, two young boys are sent to stay with their stern grandmother and their childlike Aunt Yonkers in New York. This is a Pulitzer Prize winning play, I believe. One uh Simon, yeah. Um multiple Tonys as well. I I started watching this movie and I was like, Richard Dreyfus is in this, right? Like first first build. And uh I was like, We aren't we aren't getting Ana de Armas here, are we? And uh, <laughs> nonetheless, Aaron, what are your thoughts on Lost in Yonkers? I like it more than you. I'm not going to say it's a new comedy classic that I'm happy I discovered or anything, but I li- I liked it. I, for one thing, yes, it's, you know, it's about Jews and Yonkers. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm in, I'm into this. I really like these two performances from um, Mercedes Ruel and Irene Adler. Uh, they both won Tonys for the play, and I can see why. Mm-hmm. And this is that period where Mercedes Ruel is like. This is her like Hollywood moment, like between like eighty nine to now is like the kind of like she's in movies and she's doing stage plays and she she won an Oscar for Fisher King, right? So it's right, like, mm-hmm. so like she's in fine form here. Like this is the kind of thing that she can do pretty well. I think the grandmother is very good as well. Like that story, it's Neil Simon. So I'm like, is it fun? Like it's humorous. It's not you know laugh. There's some there's some one liners that I enjoyed and there's some bits mm-hmm. that I like. It, it's a weird because it's like a coming of age story. 
and it's like a weird kind of mobster movie ish yeah. and it's a it's like a a kind of a get out of your shell dramatic love story thing like there's a lot there's a lot of like ideas packing in so it's it's a weird like thing to see as a film because i can imagine a play would make a lot more sense out of all of these things all these different strands and whatnot True. so as a movie it's you know it it's weirdly loaded in certain places as far as what it's trying to do but i do think the moments that are supposed to be more affecting are generally affecting um i did i do think like once dreyfus actually shows up which is like 40 minutes into the movie 43 like, thank you he's he's doing his <laughs> thing he's doing his dreyfus thing i like that he's playing this kind of like for Richard Dreyfus playing a guy that like wants to pump himself up as this tough guy, but he's also a guy that like listens to everything his mother tells him. Like there's mm-hmm. stuff there that I just I found to be endearing in its own way. It's not the best Neil Simon movie that I've seen, written adaptation of his thing that I've seen, but like I, I for something I've you know just never seen before, I had a good time with it. Good enough. Yeah, uh, a couple of marshals going down. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody talking with their their little accents and stuff. Um, and what I did like the line what was it uh, they call the Dreyfus like it's like living with James Cagney every day or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a James Cagney movie. Yeah, Scott, what do um, you think of the Yonker? I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, it's one did of the it have enough moxie for you. Moxie, indeed, indeed. No, it's it's you know, and I I know that sounds like a broken record, but you know, it's a three star character driven movie, and I was considering how farcical the first hour or so is mm-hmm. not like slamming door farce but yeah, obviously it's a very i was surprised by how in how moved i was by the finale I agree. by the wrapping up of certain character beats yeah obviously the, the big dramatic scene between her and her mother for you know that's the obvious one and that one is incredibly effective um i was sort of shocked just because it's not a role he plays all that often we saw david strathern as sort of a you know not super intelligent country bumpkin you know, he's usually yeah. the smartest person in the room, no matter what the movie is. Right, man. So that was, you know, again, he's young enough to, A, be able to play that character, and B, you know, be kind of a heartthrob in its own skewed way. He's a, I mean, obviously, he's aged very well. He's very, you know, prestigiously handsome, but from, I wasn't used from, to seeing him that young. From what I understand, that character is not in the play. Off it's only, stage. He's, only mm-hmm. he's only referenced offstage, and so they invented him, like, they physicalized him for the, the That makes version. sense, actually. Yeah. I can see that. The stuff with the kids, it's fine. I mean, it's very, you know, I don't want to say boilerplate because that's an insult, but it, it's, you know. Uh, we needed an Elijah Wood in here. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, you needed a yeah, slightly yeah, stronger yeah. kid actor. I don't want to bag on kid performances from 30 years ago. I mean, They're was, old now. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but, yeah but this was before <laughs> right. that, you know, Haley Joel Osmond sort of kicked in the door and said, kids can be good now, damn it. But Ralph Macchi, he's too old though at this point. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> Although he still looks about twelve, so it would work. Yeah. Uh, he's fucking sixty-one. He still looks the same age as in Karate Kid. But anyway, I like the actors. I, I like it. Obviously, it feels like a stage play. It's mostly people working out their issues in a very stationary setting. The mob plot is about as well. It's less threatening than Woody Allen film because nobody gets killed. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it's. So yeah, I mean, I I. I I liked it for what it was. It was a sweet, occasionally moving, relatively engrossing coming of age film. It's very mm-hmm. slight. I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but it's, it's, it was on my, you know, it's one that I'm glad I caught up with because of this show. Gotcha. I, I yeah, I was the one who wasn't that big of a fan of this one. I kind of, I watching this, I guess the stage play and I'm not a, a like a kid hater person but i wasn't really into them or anything like i wanted this movie to just kind of be about the sister like that was where all the the good stuff was uh i liked what she was going through i kind of wanted more her perspective rather than the kids from afar uh dreyfus comes in uh, like he needs injected in here much earlier uh because he does bring a fun little energy and stuff but i don't know it probably works as a stage play and you know, I, I get it's adapting from that, but like, I may, I don't know if it's the casting or whatever. I just wasn't that invigorated with the kids stuff. And they're, they're a bit too observant and not here with things rather uh, not too involved. They do get involved with the little thing as Dreyfus exits the film, but I, I kind of, I don't know. They don't feel like the stuff that they're actually doing or involved in is that important and i'm like i'm sitting here like oh the sister story is good they guess there's some good chops there's some great scenes some good uh, you know performances there with it but all together is kind of lollygagging around with like a good segment of it that i liked a lot but overall just kind of like huh 
kind of ho-hummed with it. Um, it's not awful by any means, just kind of one of those like, all right, all right. But and it would bring me back in here and there, but I would lull out uh, from time to time. But yeah, the sister, that's where the story is. I wish it would have like, that would have just been the focus of this movie, but yeah, it is oh. what it is. It, it does I, remind me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just say I do. I do think the grandmother, Irene. I think she is very good here. I do think that's the oh, kind she of is. where. Yeah. When I when I kept thinking back on this movie after watching it, I was like, "This is because in the moments you're just like, oh, she's so mean." But then you're like, you're like just thinking of where it goes, and and even by like you were saying, Scott, the finale where it kind of wraps up things, and there's certain implications as far as what's going on. It's like. I really like this character, like this person that, you know, has seen a lot, essentially, mm-hmm. and is ultimately wanting the best for everybody is just, you know, his old grandmother isn't going to be a little mean. <laughs> like, that's kind of the, the fact that that was registering with me, you know, after the fact. It's like, okay, so there, there's more here as far as what I'm thinking about than just, like, the stuff that I didn't appreciate, which I agree with you on. It's, more, it's, it's lingering with me in a, in a good way. So, like, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that it stuck with you like that. This movie um, did tell something interesting and had a nice turn that I didn't kind of feel coming with the uh, Strathern relationship where sure. it came to a head where I was like, oh, gosh, we've been led to believe he was a lot more competent than what we get in that scene. Like, I felt like that was a nice, that was a pretty big surprise. Great. The details are there in spots. But to see it come to a head and to have this, like, because you're really rooting for the sister character in this. You really want her to, and and the fact that A, it happens to her, uh, B, you're like, oh my gosh, you feel bad for Strathern, uh, both of them at the same time, and you see what a good person she is, that, hey, screw all this, you need help or whatever, what's going on here? And then she has to go home to the, I, uh, the, the, I told you so with the, the mother. That's like the best piece of the film for me um right there because it just hurts to watch it's so well done so well acted surprising and then it, it's like painful to watch because like they're doing it so well that's yeah that's the, that's the stuff where i can see why there's tony awards being given out to these actors because they have to like they have to it has to mm-hmm. build to these kind of scenes uh so yeah it's yeah that's like the the meaty good stuff as far as a, you know seeing a play come to life like this goes mm-hmm it feels like it's the it's the reason for the season, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like just and you know, and I'm sure I'll feel this way as we watch a lot of the movies from 30 years ago, in that it is refreshingly culturally specific because it's small and cheap enough to be. Yeah, sure. And yes, as an American Jew, yay, it's very Jewish, yada yada yada. Yada 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 indeed. But I mean it's <laughs> but you know, it's 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 the kind of thing that I used to take, you know, we used to take for granted because you had a larger, I would argue, a larger offering of culturally specific pictures that didn't feel the need to be four quadrant or appeal to every potential demographic, you know, appealing to all, alienating to none, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I, I got a little defensive, God, nine years ago, Jesus, eight and a half years ago, over that Zach Braff film that he funded on Kickstarter. And he said the reason for it was basically he knew that through the studio system, he couldn't make it as Jewish as he wanted. And once yeah. I saw the pictures, like, oh, yeah, he was fucking right. And as much as the film was sort of treated as if it's some vanity project, A, I would argue it's not. It's just a movie that's very hard to get financed for in this day and age. And B, I think it's telling that the best scene in the film is between uh, you know, Mandy Batankin and Kate Hudson. Um. Yeah. 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 Aren't him. <laughs> so I mean, there's something to be said about that. Um. Yeah. I. I I'm thinking. Of, I remember this. Like that. Yeah. Like that 2010 period where that and like Spike Lee had to fund uh, the five, the five blood. They're not the five. Um. The vampire. The sweet, one, I think. The sweet. Yeah. The sweet blood. They both mm-hmm. start with duh. The sweet blood of Jesus. They're doing crowdfunding stuff before it was cool, and it's the kind of thing where like if you take five seconds to look at why. You can very much understand, but no, everyone wants to react immediately to how could these millionaire movie makers need money from people? And it's like, you defend you real gotta, projects like a fucking Veronica Mars movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which got unbridled support. Just like yes. everybody was just super thrilled. It's like, fucking finally, CW can screw itself. We can fund the Veronica Mars movie ourselves. That feels um, like the start of something in retrospect. 
Mm, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. That's a, that's a, that's an essay for the rap pro. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'll have to interview looking, you for that to get away with it. But looking at, looking at Lost and Yonkers. Yeah. I completely agree as far as, yes, it is refreshing just to see a movie existing as it is because, Hey, we can do that. It, it, I mean, I'm, you know, when we start the Yonkers universe with Neil, traditional <laughs> <laughs> work, I'll be happy to, to, to go to every franchise entry, but yeah, for, for the time for this one. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, this it's crowdfunding. Like, what's the difference between walking to business investors for funding a movie and then going to people? Hey, would you like to fund a movie? Like, there's no, I don't, I don't see the difference. If someone wants to see a movie and put their money to it, do it. Like, that's yeah, it's uh, vanity project or not, you get funding. That's. I don't think pe- people just don't know how movies are made, I guess. But hey, Nothing, nothing's new. <laughs> nothing's new. Nothing's new. But we do have a new number one. If we go to the Casey Kasem top 40 this week. That's a good segue. Muscle All right. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> What's hitting the charts this week? Casey's biggest this week, uh, Casey Kasem, Weekly Top 40. Uh, Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes as hit number one. Uh, and it will stay there for a while. Uh, Freak Me by Silk has fallen to number two. Love Is by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight. Number three, Informer, goes to number four from Snow. Uh, I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston stays at number five. Uh, Nothing But a G Thing by Dr. Dre is number six. Uh, Knock Into Boots by H-Town at number seven. Number eight, I'm So Into You by SWV. Number nine, Looking Through Patient Eyes, PM Dawn. And number 10, Don't Walk Away, Jade. So those are your top 10 songs for this week in 1993. I hope you like That's the Way Love Goes. Hearing that at number one, because it's going to be nonstop for a while. But what will knock it off? Stay tuned. Keep listening. I can't wait for that hit Jurassic Park single to knock out all the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, remember uh, when uh, Naughty by Nature is saying that hit song for Steven Spielberg? Oh, mm-hmm. man, that was great. Yes. Uh, Dino, you, Dino, me. Yes. Dino, you, Dino, me. That was, that was so good. That was so good. I would walk into movies uh, like I get out of a movie and be like, is Jurassic is that a White Park Nights ending? reference? Nope. Just right for the noggin. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, you say me. You would do the you would do the Dilophosaur dance, or you just oh yeah, get me in and go. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, so posse. Uh, Many legends came out of the West, but their story went untold. A story of six outlaws, wilder than the Wild West. Mario Van Peebles, Stephen Baldwin, Big Daddy Kane, Billy Zane, Tone Loke, Blair Underwood. From the director of New Jack City, Posse, rated R, now playing at theaters everywhere. Uh, Directed by Mario Van Peebles, written by Cy Richardson, Dario Scardapane, and starring Mario Van Peebles, Stephen Baldwin, Charles Lane, Paul Bartell, Blair Underwood, Pam Greer, Billy Zane, Melvin Van Peebles, Richard Gant, Richard Jordan, Tone Loke, Big Daddy Kane, Reginald Val Johnson, and Isaac Hayes. In 1898, Cuba, five Buffalo soldiers find a gold cache desert or desert and return to America where they help defend a black town from the KKK all the while trying to avoid capture by lawmen and military authorities alike. This is the first film from Gramercy Pictures. Yeah. So, Posse, uh, Aaron, what do you think of Posse? Real quick, Scott, do you know the highest grossing Gramercy Pictures film? I don't. It's Mr. Bean. Fuck yeah, Mr. Bean. $250 million. Go British. Why did they make <laughs> Because it made that much money. How much did Mr. That, Bean's holiday make? Like $226 million. Yeah. Dollars. <laughs> Same thing with like the Bridget Jones third, movies. Why is there not a third bean is what I'm asking. These movies we got are three hit. Johnny Englishes. Yeah. Right? I never, and I don't care about Johnny English. <laughs> <laughs> the United um, Kingdom does. 
So, uh, uh, Mr. Bean, so not hot. a great movie, but there's a scene where like he rigs an amusement park ride that made me laugh so hard I almost fell out of my seat. There's a lot of good bits in Bean. Anyway, back to entirely the opposite thing of a white British man um, <laughs> who's silent. Hasi, so to back up a bit, or not to, to go forward a bit, I'm a huge fan of the Netflix film The Harder They Fall. I think that's one of their best oh, hand-down yeah. original releases. Um, the story of the, the Black Cowboys that are all like actual characters in a fictionalized version. It's basically the Black Western version of RRR far as fictionalized history goes so like the prospect of finally because i've been wanting to see posse for a while the finally finally seeing a you know the 90s black cowboy movie that happens to have Stephen baldwin in a leading role um first billy first <laughs> alphabet- alphabetically but yeah yeah i know um, I was, I was, like, is this the, did i write the right movie shit right. <laughs> what watching it unfold i was like okay i get what we're doing here like i like this movie walks so the heart of the ball can run because it's a far more stylish film but this movie has a lot of style going mm-hmm. for it i like what Ben people is going for here i do think the story is trying to do like a lot because it feels like one of those kitchen sink movies where Van Peebles is like, I might not get to do this again. If I'm going to be able to tell like a story of Black Cowboys, something that was very prevalent and has been washed away by history books, you know, for reasons, uh, I'm going to try to shove it all in here as much as I can. It doesn't, lying, ne- Aaron? it doesn't necessarily help that, you know, you have a mix of a lot of good actors and less so. That that said, when Big Daddy Kane showed up, his father time, a big smile came on my face. Oh, yeah. First off, I'm like, I'm like, Big Big Daddy Kane acts, um, and, and then I'm like, he acts well. Um, I really like Big Daddy Kane, and he's a Meteor Man later this summer, so I'm declaring this is going to be Big Daddy Summer. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> I refer That's to our every title week that, every week that we do this podcast. It'll be Big Daddy Summer in my book, but um, no, there's just there's a lot here that i do think works like it has its flaws because it's just it's very it's a very earnest movie um, as far as like trying to do all these things and take it seriously yet still have like you know tone low and a few others that are like there for comedic purposes but like you know van peebles and <laughs> tiny lister like there's just a lot of like mm-hmm. solid people doing western stuff in here that i liked and approaching it from an angle that yes you don't necessarily get to see all the time billy zane makes for a good villain obviously He's Billy Zane. Um, <laughs> and I, I like that it takes like risks as far as there's a lot of people in this movie that we're supposed to be rooting for and not a lot of them survive. Uh, you don't get away with that a lot in movies, mm-hmm. in, you know, big Hollywood movies. So uh, yeah, there's, it's the kind of thing where it is not a great movie by any means. I'm not arguing that, but I like so much of what it's trying to do. I appreciated the style that Van Peebles is bringing to it as far as the director. And I just had a good time. We're watching Posse. Yeah, I I gotta agree with you. I I was like, why don't we talk about this movie like we do Young Guns? Like this yeah. is right this is in far the better than Young Guns. And, and, <laughs> yeah, is what about it, Young Guns too? <laughs> I've actually never seen that. We didn't get Posse too. There's good stuff. Like I I pretty much want to I mimic everything Aaron said about this, but like I noticed like the first action scene. And there's some others in here too, but the action like really nifty, but the camera has a sense of purpose and like identity for each yeah. character, the way mm-hmm. it shoots. So every time it focuses on a character, it really fills who they are with the way his camera's moving, zooming, uh, like stationed, like it's really cool. And he's doing some wicked angles throughout this movie and floating the camera. Like it is like a free moving camera smooth. It's not shaky cam or anything like that but it is moving around it's always involving to look at even if it's a, a down uh time scene uh this one gets snow western status there's scenes in the snow yeah. um yeah. i was like check awesome uh <laughs> it, it, yeah and there's just everybody he invited like all these people here to like hey we got to do this and they all are happy as hell to be there and like pam greer's like I mean, you could call her wasted in this movie, but damn, she shows up, has fun, blasts some guns. It's awesome. And then, like you mentioned, Billy Zane, mm-hmm. even if he's not acting, like even if he wasn't given a good performance, uh, visualizing him is awesome because he's got this cool look that he is a different look every time he shows up. Like they yeah. find fun <laughs> things to do with the eye patch guy and his like hats and stuff. Uh, and I was like, they're having fun with this villain. Like he is awesome like and he goes from like classy to like using like 
scrubs as his henchmen through it um i'd yeah. love to hear like i uh, you know it gets like rediscovered or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it i'd love to hear van peebles just talk more about like making this movie because i imagine you he know got his dad time, a part in here he, like his dad yeah, gets to, got, like woody strode gets to narrow like i mean right. there's just like there's so much going on but like you know it's not like he's getting you know he had new jack city which is i gave him basically what i would assume is the blank check to make a movie like this that probably cost more to right I love to hear what the what you know those influences were because you know he's gro- he's grown up under his dad who's obviously a legendary filmmaker in his own right mm-hmm. and you know and from here it's not he gets more movies to make but this yep. seems like the highest profile thing he gets to do for like Scott do you know offhand like after this I mean he makes other movies but this is pretty much it as this far as, seems like, to be the biggest in terms of mainstream profile yeah like he got a lot of buzz when um when he made the movie about his dad badass yes like, right, yep. sweep back sweep up but that even then that but was an indie movie. This I mean, and New Jack City, those are yeah, and we can debate why. Ha ha, seem to be come and gone just like that. Unfortunately, he had a lot. But of yes, that. he did do other movies. He was in the, you know he was sort of an added value element in the third Highlander movie for what that's worth. Well, he did a lot of team um, ups with Christopher Lambert. They, yes. they have like three or four movies yeah. together. So, but no, um, I just I was just saying I'd love to hear him talk more about like the, because the, you're not wrong as far as the the way the cameras utilized in this film i th- I find it so fascinating in a, in a realm where we have you know now excuse me nowadays and you have you know you have django you have other things that like obviously are taking influences I, mm-hmm. i'd love to hear more of them you know it's not like his dad was shooting this way for this kind you know this in this extreme kind of way you know making very huge choices so i just i think he'd have a lot to say about it. he's a he's a he's a well-learned man i, mm-hmm. I like mario man people <laughs> like it's a, I, I always find it a shame that he isn't a bigger deal because i think he's a very talented uh, artist in his own right <laughs> Yeah, he uh he followed this up with another grant. He must have had a deal at Gramercy, but he did a yeah. bla- uh, movie about the Black Panthers. Um, yeah, it was like the, it was like the first movie about the Black Panthers. Yeah. like that. Yeah, and then he did a movie called uh, Love Kills with Leslie Ann Warren and Daniel Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed a cop thriller called. Uh, it was co-directed by him and his dad, called uh, Gang in Blue. Which you can figure out what that's about. You're correct. I don't, I don't know if it's his latest movie, but his, one of his most recent movies was the adaptation of the Robert Shaw story of the USS Indianapolis he, with Nick Cage as the yep, lead. Yep, yep, yep. I remember yeah. that. Yep. Anyway, Scott, what do you think? I'm sorry, we're dancing around this. Oh no, it's okay. Posse, we got time. Um, no, I, I, yes, I was also very much reminded of the harder we fall, which, or they fall, sorry, which by default perhaps, but nonetheless, it's probably my favorite Netflix studio programmer. And I think you and I have talked about this, and I know you feel, you know, but I think, I think there's a clear distinction of quality when Netflix is giving blank checks to not a white guy filmmakers who know this might be their only shot, uh-huh. versus white guys who already have a certain amount of prestige that are just you know blowing the blank check because there's nobody to tell them no. But I digress. When when, when is Bright Two coming out again? <laughs> oh. Probably one weekend before the Gray Man Two. I mean, uh, that'll but, probably actually happen, though, but I hear you. <laughs> but no, it's, it's I enjoyed this film for what it was. It's a solid, you know, again, it's a studio programmer. Mm-hmm. And what's sad is that, you know, the, the film was groundbreaking and, and, and overdue, you know, all those bud words 30 years ago, but it's probably still would be today because when the harder we fall, they fall came out in what, 2021, you know, we were still having those conversations. And this is something that I'm probably going to talk about a lot for the summer because there's a lot of movies that should have been a stepping stone for films like that becoming more par for the course. But, and, you know, my big conspiracy theory is that after 9 11, everyone just retreated into giant four quadrant tales about white guys saving the day from larger than life evil forces, but whatever. Um, I mean, we talked about those Fox shows, not a lot of black Fox shows after 9 11. Yeah. And but you know, I, I will say this just because I think the film is fine, but I was I really, really liked the third act. I think it's a terrific action finale. Yeah. Um, yeah. it has a which ton is, of good guys and lots a ton of, of bad explosions guys. and sh- and yeah. maybe it's it's for a western, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons I enjoy a good western is that because they're shooting each other and it's every showdown isn't a 10 minute martial arts battle they actually have to stop and talk to each other before each showdown if that makes sense yeah there there has to be a character interaction and or a plot beat it's not just i have a sword i have a stick 
as much as I like that, don't get me wrong, but there is a different vibe. And this film specifically, there's about maybe a half a dozen major showdowns and they all feel organic and creative and sometimes surprising. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the film and maybe it's because I was just in the wrong headspace. I'm like, oh, this is one of those ones where almost everybody dies. Okay. Yeah. The people you <laughs> think will survive do not survive in this movie. No. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I was surprised by and, uh, and And when certain people die, I was surprised by it too. It's like, okay, we're, we're changing the game. Well, Steven oh. bites it, the the... The high build white guy bites it. Top build yeah. Steven, Steven Baldwin. With, with like 40 <laughs> minutes to go in the movie. Yeah. So it's fucking, like... <laughs> fucking Wheezy, I thought was going to go early and be like their motivation to like do stuff. He makes it pretty much all the way through. There's a lot to enjoy about like the choices being made here. And Peoples is good. You know, he's playing the straight man of all these yep. people, but I thought he's, I thought he's solid. I think he makes it yeah. better than Tom, Tom, better than Thomas Ian Griffin. <laughs> um, you know, making make a thing starring himself. He gives so much time to all these other cast. He gave himself a sex like, scene, but yeah. He, he played, he plays himself cool as far as being Who you know, amongst the, us? Stoic, the stoic one. You brought this up right away, and I agree with you. It does, quote unquote, suffer because I've seen the 20 year, you know, the 30 years later with a bigger budget, more production values, blah, blah, and, you know, whatever version of it. But, but this is still a really fun, solid three, if I'm generous, three and a half star Western studio programmer. And I, was su- I was surprised that, like, I wouldn't expect it to get good reviews because that's just, I know how these things work, but I was yeah. surprised that Ebert was down on it. This seems like something Ebert would be like, you guys got to see this movie. And he mm. was like, just not as weak, I guess, for this one. Yeah. He liked Lost in Yonkers. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I don't know if he reviewed Excessive Force, although Joe Layden of Variety, who I, you know, am friends book, Facebook friends with, he he reviewed this film back 30 years ago for Variety. Or Excessive mm. Force, and he was not a fan. Well, this is coming, like, uh, Unforgiven had come out, so I guess that's your staple western there. And if you're not living up to and, that, maybe. Well, and Young Guns, of course. Well, yeah, of course. and Young, young guns, guns too. too. Both and both Young Guns them, too. Both, both Young, both the Young Guns. We're not quite to Tombstone yet, are we? Uh, later this year, Tombstone's the latest. It's the that's the Christmas ninety three. Justice yep. is coming. This yeah, Christmas. Uh, directed by not Kurt Russell. Who are we kidding? Speaking and then, of George and then, P. And, Jesus, and then and Wyatt Earp is of course like a few. Yes, and that but that but that's bad. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but I don't know. Eber wasn't because like, like he didn't like Quick of the Quick of the Dead either. So you know he wasn't into the pulpy westerns. I, I guess, like Quick of the Dead quite a bit. Um, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's fun. did I? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know that's uh, that's another film where I mean by by virtue of its structure, it's like take all these colorful actors and just have them do one on one showdowns, and that's almost the entire movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, before we head on to the the final uh, the box office tallies, we're gonna take a look at summer the summer's uh, hot new segment, Yancey's Tales from the Video Store. I'd like to rent breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, this is out. Someone has it. Out? Oh no! I've I've been to four other places. You're the only ones that have had it. Well, I can put it on reserve for you if you'd like. Maybe we could call them and ask them to return it. I worked at uh, a tower video for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I worked, I was very lucky to work uh, at the very famous video archives for for a while. And did I work at a Laserdisc store or something? I'm forgetting a third video store that I worked at. But yes, most of the time I was employed in the 90s. And all the time in the 90s, I was renting and buying movies. So I, I have a certain amount of stories that may pertain Awesome. And these stores aren't going to be all 90s stories. Of course, that'd be crazy and definitely not 93. So they will encompass all eras. But be, I wanted to include it because, you know what, video store was a part of people's lives that we They may have gone to the movies that weekend or they might have gone to the video store that weekend or something like that. Or on during that week, pick something up. So this segment is going to cover those tales from the video store, which you already gave us one personalized one of dropping the $80, which uh, is insane considering you dropped it from a porno theater. And I would think around that era, people going to that would have probably grabbed that $80. It wouldn't have been a porno theater. It was literally a adult toys. Okay. Don't toys. And then in the back, it would have had probably a booth for people to watch videotapes. That $80 should have gone to some dildo. That was, (laughs) Maybe it was somebody yeah. else's eighty dollars. Maybe it was. Right That's yeah. insane. And it was what multiple bills, right? That were just sitting there. That's 
Wow. Four twenties. The kid that there was a kid that lived above that store named yeah. Kiwi or something. And he would just hang out of that window above that store as you walked home from school mm-hmm. and he would try to spit on you. <laughs> Everybody that walked by, he would try to spit on. And you just see him sit there with his arms on the folded on the on the window of the second floor. He had oh, like geez. a little he had a mohawk. His name was Peewee, and he would just I would watch him. I, I would be half a mile away watching him spitting on people who didn't realize he was up there, and then I would go around. <laughs> interesting that's, that's crazy all right well let's let's dive into your stories all right so my earliest video memory and i don't know the year what year did star wars come out on vhs 83 or 82 or something star wars yeah it had been around jedi time i think okay. may of 1982 was the very okay. first home release of any star wars film uh released on vhs betamax laserdisc Oh, well, later on, different ones. But oh, wait, CED video disc V2000 tape cassettes. So it came out on video disc the same day, I guess. It would have been a full mm-hmm. screen. It didn't come out letterbox until like the 90s, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I remember I wasn't into laser disc, neither was my dad at this point. But I remember distinctly going to Big Ben's, which was a big chain in Southern California that was basically a music store. But they had a shelf of rentals. I remember explicitly going with my dad on the day Star Wars came out to go rent Star Wars because I had seen it as a very tiny little child who didn't remember it. This mm-hmm. would have been the first time I'd ever really seen it. And I remember going to Big Ben's and there were 10 copies of Star Wars on the shelf. It was a dollar to rent because it was Tuesday. And it didn't seem like anybody had rented one. This was the most popular movie ever, but this was very early in the days of home video rentals. And I remember I was there in the 90s too when it was me and two other couples waiting on Saturday night for some copy of something Blockbuster had 95 copies of, just one to come back in, you know, the, the juror or something, waiting all night for it to come back. Yeah. And it was funny. Star Wars, it seemed like no one else had had picked it up yet. They had 10 copies of the biggest home video release ever to that point in history, oh. I'm sure. Yeah, I seen that. That's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Scott, uh, let's uh, see how these films fared at the box office this week. Placing number one in the uh, weekend of May 14th through May 16th of 1993 is Dave, which debuted at number two last weekend in approximately 1,100 screens. It added 400 screens for a 1,566 screen total, went up 16% in raw revenue, earning $8.5 million in its second weekend of release for an $18.4 million, excuse me, 10-day total. The uh, Warner Brothers comedy would eventually go $63 million domestic. Coming in at number two after being number one last weekend was Dragon the Bruce Lee story, holding a perfectly okay 37% down with a $6.3 million weekend, 19.2 after 10 days. It would eventually cash out with approximately $35 million domestic, which was more than good enough. And coming in at number three, our first new movie is Posse, opening in just 949 theaters, earning approximately $5.3 million, which was the second biggest per screen average of the weekend. The (laughs) The second biggest per screen average of the weekend was the second weekend in 14 theaters of Much Ado About Nothing, a film that I'm assuming we'll be talking about later. That film earned $347,000 in 14 theaters. But back to the top 10, number four, be a decent proposal. $4 million minus 12%, $84 million after six weeks, six weekends, excuse me. Um, that is a Paramount picture that today would be a Paramount Plus miniseries. And number we'll have five. competition next week. <laughs> At number five, we have Lost in Yonkers, debuting in 1,190 theaters with a $3 million. That's a pretty mediocre per screen average. A soft opening, it would earn just $9.2 million, which even you know, by the standards of a small-scale Neil Simon drama isn't particularly good. Uh, sidekicks, the Chuck Norris, Jonathan, count me here. Brandis. Brandis, sorry. I always, rest in peace, I always forget his last name. Uh, Jonathan Brandis picture sidekicks making $2.1 million, dropping just uh, 5.3% in its sixth weekend, added 47 theaters, oddly enough. Thank you, Triumph Releasing Corporation, which I've never heard of until this exact segment. 
Uh, I'll see what else they released. Um, it earned $11 million after uh, six weekends in theaters. Number seven, Benny in June. Number eight, Indian Summer. Number nine, The Sandlot. Ten, Map of the Human Heart. And Excessive Force all the way down in 17th place, earning a whopping $309,000 in 501 screens. It would eventually earn a whopping, huge, spectacular $1.152 million. One of the only films of 1993 to which Batman Mask of the Phantasm can say, ha, Ha, I beat you. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. All three movies this week barely make over $30 million combined that we had. Sounds like the summer of 2020. Yeah. My mind, my mind is like, did Thomas E. Griffiths ever voice a character on Batman the Animated Series? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. You know, they, they, you know, was he, um, was he, was he dark side on Superman? <laughs> That's Michael Ironside, damn it. Um that tracks. That's and then yeah, you, you have David Warner, you have Malcolm McDowell, you have Mark Hamill, who you know prior to that was sort of, you know, doing you know that kind of schlock, all due respect. This this is the route I took us down, voice actors on the Batman the Energy. <laughs> hey, your fault. <laughs> Who's the guy that played the Beastmaster? Mark Singer. He was Mark Clayface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they had a so lot of interesting office. character actors. Well, no, that's yes. basically it. Has anyone seen the map of the human heart? I have not. Gotcha. Well, if, you open a, if you open a uh, biology book, you can find that. <sighs> right there. No, um, seen that coming. But if you if you tune in next week, you'll get more of that from us. But that'll do it for this weekend. That was May 14th through 16th of 1993. Scott and Aaron, thank you for joining me as always. Before we sign out, I'll let people know where they can keep up with you. We'll start with Scott this week. Uh, I'm at therap.com and I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. All right, and Aaron. Uh, you can find me at the codyzeat.com. That's where everything I do ends up in my personal blog there. I am the editor and writer for Leo Entertainment. I also write for Why So Blue for my movie reviews and Blu-ray reviews. I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4, and of course I host the podcast Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, we're probably talking still about the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 soundtrack at this point, and whether or not it's better or worse than the first and second. Personally, I like the second one, but I don't know. Maybe the third one kicked ass. We'll see. Gotcha. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at whysoblue.com. Tune in next week as us hotshots sliver like water does into chocolate for a big dinosaur movie of the summer. All that and more as the summer of 93 at 30 continues. Big Eddie Summer. It's the summer of 93 at 30. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 